Welcome to Compliance Pointers, where we take an in-depth look into the latest news, trends, and challenges surrounding information security, privacy, and marketing compliance. Let's dive in with your host, Jordan Eisner. Welcome to Compliance Pointers. Our goal with this podcast is to deliver both in-depth and actionable information pertaining to information security, data privacy, and other regulatory compliance news, trends, and challenges. So look forward to more content after today. In this episode, we'll be discussing web trackers and HIPAA compliance. The HHS and FTC issued a bulletin warning that the use of web trackers on websites and apps could result in HIPAA violations. In addition to this episode, we've got a blog post on our website titled, Does My Website Need to Be HIPAA Compliant? that I'd encourage all of our listeners to check out. So who am I? My name is Jordan Eisner. I'm the VP of Sales at Compliance Point. In a couple of months, I will have been with the organization for 10 years. In that time, I've worked with hundreds of organizations on a variety of regulatory and risk management initiatives. You might be wondering who's Compliance Point. Compliance Point is a mid-sized consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations scale and reduce risk by maturing their data security and privacy operations. So with me today, I've got Carol Amick. She's Compliance Point's healthcare practice lead and the main HIPAA guru, as I like to call her. Carol, thank you for joining. Thank you. So Carol, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself a little bit, talk about your background. I think it's worth noting for our listeners that you spent time on both the consulting and the client side. Um, But aside from that, why should someone listening consider you an expert on these matters? Well, I'm not sure expert is the perfect term, but I will say that I have an extensive background with HIPAA. I'm I'm dating myself a little, but I've been working with it since the regulations first came out. And I have worked as a privacy officer for healthcare providers, post-acute and for acute care providers. And I've also, as Jordan said, done some consulting when I was with one of the big four and before I came over to Compliance Point, helping people comply with these regulations. And finally, unfortunately, I have had to respond to investigations from the Department of Health and Human Services regarding HIPAA violations. So I've got a lot of exposure and experience working in this area. There you go. And you were only a teenager when HIPAA came out. You just were an early starter. Yeah. Oh, toddler. That's right. Yeah. Teenager. Yeah, I got that wrong. Okay. All right. So we'll dive into some uh, Q&A on the topic. So I think it First and foremost, right, can you just give us the nuts and bolts, you know, what was in the letter from the HHS and FTC, you know, what's it mean? Give us your uh, your general overview. So the letter was sent out to um, healthcare providers, and it said that the Department of Health and Human Services, who traditionally is regulated HIPAA, and the Federal Trade Commission, which is not an organization that a lot of us working in healthcare have spent a lot of time thinking about, had concerns about the fact that Protected health information or private information was being shared with these organizations via web trackers. So you would have on your website a web tracker um, and you would share that information with Google or Facebook or Meta. And they would basically help target your advertising and your towards your, your, your patients, people who are on your website. The um, letter brought up some real concerns about the fact that this was protected health information. I think for most of us, this is not something we had traditionally considered protected health information. The um, To me, the big expansion almost was that the letter pointed out that if I go on a website 
You now have my IP address, and that is identifiable information. And I start looking up information, say, on cancer treatments. The letter says you now have protected health information about me to go with that IP address because cancer is a medical condition. In my mind and people I've talked to, it's kind of a leap. I mean, I could be on that website looking up information related to a friend, a family member, not necessarily myself, but the they have made this into protected health information that you needed to treat as such and disclose what you were going to do with before you started tracking it on those web trackers. And that's where the, the gap is happening is identifying it early on. And it's not a certain, this question might not even be a right question for this, but just trying to understand mm -hmm. it right as a general listener. It's not a combination of data on the site, right? It's just that you were there and it's that IP address and they see these organizations, these entities that somebody from this IP address was looking at this specific topic. It is kind of that combination to become protected health information. Now the FTC rule is a little different, but for the HIPAA regulation, it, it does become, if you were just going to a website and they didn't do anything, it might not be, but anything you do on that website that relates to potentially relates to a medical condition, kind of brings it into that protected health information. Now, I will say there is another condition on this. If I go on the website and I have to authenticate, so let's say your website lets me make appointments for doctor's visits, and I have to authenticate, that definitely is protected health information. And so if there's a tracker in that part of the website where I'm in there going, okay, I need an appointment next Tuesday at two, then you definitely have PHI and, you know, they aren't even having to make the leap. And they also have, of course, more than just the IP address. That example you just gave is authenticate a website where you have a login. You've probably given some sort of consent at that point previously. What we're talking about today is more so unauthenticated visits and traffic, right? So on the authenticated website, if you have if you've covered this in your notice of privacy practices when you first started working with the patient, or if you have a business associate agreement with somebody who's helping you run that authenticated website. So if you have a company that helps you with this doctor scheduling and you have a business associate agreement, you're probably fine there. You've got it kind of all tracked and together. We'll talk later, I think, about business associates. So you may have done that in advance. So on the authenticated websites, I would think a lot more times you're going to be covered by that notice of privacy practices that you gave that patient or their responsible party the first time you started treating them. So you're probably much safer there than you are on the unauthenticated, which is, you know, as I said, I was on a recent hospital website looking up something related to my mother's medical condition using this guidance from HHS, it's now my PHI, even though it's not a condition I have. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one too, right? Caretakers or people viewing on behalf of their family members and how that's going to be viewed in terms of, uh, you know, the sensitive data and is it PHI and what organizations then need to do with that? Any insider thoughts additionally on that? They're saying it is PHI, and I know it's happening. I mean, I can tell you, I'm sure all of us have had this happen. You go and you research something online. You read the article that the local medical company put out about some fancy new technology or something, and then you log into Facebook and you get an advertisement 30 seconds later for right. something related to that. So they're saying that's PHI. Now, as I said, in my case, for example, I was looking at my mother and I don't think it's my PHI, but 
I didn't get to make that definition. Mm-hmm. I do think there'll probably be some lawsuits challenging it, but I'm not a lawyer and all those qualifications. So I can't tell you where this might eventually end. But for right now, it is considered protected health information. Yeah. And it looks like I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, maybe. But it looks like some organizations might already be in lawsuits for this. We mentioned Meta. We mentioned Google. There are, in addition to the government regulatory actions, and some of this is where the FTC comes in because there appears to be more private right of action under those rules than there is under HIPAA rules. So those of you who are familiar with HIPAA know there's not really a private right of action. But this also crosses into the FTC. And also, depending on what state you're in, there's probably some state regulations. And so we are definitely seeing lawsuits, um, very large settlement lawsuits, at Aurora, I think, paying over a million dollars recently on their lawsuit. There's a lot of lawsuits out there. There is a company that actually went out and did a study of websites and found for the top 90 healthcare providers, I think they're probably looking at it by size, in the United States, almost all of them have website trackers. You can pretty much be guaranteed that there's a lawyer probably someplace working on a class action lawsuit. For example, I saw where somebody had filed a lawsuit against the University of Louisville and was attempting to bring that to class action. So in addition to HHS, you're definitely also looking at some class action lawsuits. And of course, there's what I call the six o'clock news risk when this starts hitting the media. What have you been doing with my health information? Who have you been sharing it with? As a compliance officer, I know what happens next. My phone starts ringing because people want to know what we've done with your data. So, you know, if you're the compliance officer, you're going to start getting phone calls and questions about this. So not only is it bad press, it's more work. Yeah, it's more work. Right. Okay. Um, And probably should have gone into it a little bit earlier, but we were talking about unauthenticated versus authenticated Mm -hmm. websites. And most people might know, most people might not know, right, what that means. Authenticated, I think you gave a good example, usually requires some sort of login. Unauthenticated is just any viewer. There's no login required. For instance, for our listeners, if you go to compliancepoint.com, that's an unauthenticated website. We don't require you to log in or anything, right? And a lot of websites and these healthcare providers might have that sort of website that's tracking your IP address and other information. And so most, a lot of you may be familiar, for example, Epic, which is one of the largest electronic medical records companies in the world, has a app and website thing called MyChart. So you may be familiar with that. And that is one where you would be authenticated because you want to go in and look up your medical condition or, you know, information on the test they ran on your kid the other day or something. You just log in. So you have a login. Um, So that would be authenticated. And most medical, a lot of medical providers and business associates who provide services to them have those authentications too. Um, But then you also generally would have on the front door of your website, the unauthenticated stuff where you could just go cruising around and looking at what kind of services you provide and stuff without having to identify yourself. Yep. Okay. Good overview. Epic is definitely some of the neatest offices I've ever (laughs) seen in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin farmland and we're driving past it. All right. So what does this mean for healthcare organizations? I guess specifically covered entities right? Ones providing care that have these websites. So if you are a covered entity, I'm just going to say, and you've got a website, it probably has website trackers on it. And there's benefits to this to you all. You want to know, I mean, that's why Compliance Point has website trackers best. We want to know what people want to know, and you want to know what people want to know. Um, The challenge is that if you are sharing it with some of your major people on this tracking field, which would be Google and Meta Facebook, 
they are not signing a business associate agreement with you. They are taking that data from you as identifiable and working with it. And some of it's they're feeding you information back. Some of it's they're doing stuff with it. Um, I think one of them, and I want to say it's Google, but I may be wrong, has said, well, it's okay because when we get the the information, we then de-identify it. If you're a covered entity, you cannot share that data with them, identified, even if they are going to de-identify it, unless you have that business associate agreement and they are not signing that. Now, some of you I know have business associate agreement with Google, for example. If you use their cloud service provider, you have a business associate agreement with them. Keep in mind, they like a lot of big companies, they have different divisions and areas. So your business associate agreement you've got for your cloud service provider is not going to cover this web tracking technology. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, and I'm thinking too, just in terms of trying to communicate with a Meta or a Google, <laughs> right? And talking about realistically getting the BAA in place. I mean, let's not say it's impossible, but that would be very challenging. So, so what are your options? Um, we have seen some people starting to use more locally developed and controlled website trackers. So they're not going to be using the Googles, the Yahoos, the Facebooks, because the options are not good with that. Now, if you could figure out a way to de-identify it before it leaves your control and goes to theirs, mm -hmm. then you can keep using them. I, I'm not a, well, my background is not that strong in technology to tell you if that's even feasible, but it would definitely be difficult. Um, probably very expensive and time consuming. So what I'm hearing from my, our clients is they're looking at what other technologies can we use besides some of the biggies that will sign agreements with us. Okay. What about mobile applications, right? Is that? So mobile applications is interesting. If uh, one of the other in initiatives of the Department of Health and Human Services is to give all of us access to our medical records. And so I might have a friend who's developed a great mobile app that's going to protect me. I'm going to use for all my medical record information. I'm going to track all my results. And so I can come to any healthcare provider and say, I want you to give me all my information and we're going to, and once you send it to Bubba Gump's healthcare application. And you may say to them, are you sure about this? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I want to go there. And that's fine. You, the provider, don't have any, any obligation to make sure that app is in good shape. You, the patient is the one who's directing it. You're just giving it to them. It's done. But if you have one, for example, we talked about my chart a minute ago. They have an app. Um, if you have developed your own kind of in-house app that that is using your steering people to, then it does need to comply with the HIPAA regulations. And generally, most of you would be using a business associate to help you do that, a vendor. Mm -hmm. That you do need a business associate agreement with that vendor who's helping you run that app, unless you're completely running it in-house. Okay. Um, so if you've got a vendor, and there are a lot of them out there who are helping you with this kind of thing, market, helping you marketing it, and, you know, they branded it for you. You want to be sure you've got an agreement that makes sure they're doing the right thing with Protect Health information. And so. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And most applications, right, I think, I could be wrong on this, are going to have some sort of authentication layer too, right? Or, or what about even just downloading the app? Could you then maybe be consenting 
to the sharing of the data inside that? Is it a little bit more protected than I guess an unauthenticated yeah, website? Yeah, I mean, most of these applications you're going to you're going to be up to have to auto, you have to opt into it. Um, what you don't know, what you need to be, if you're directing your clients and your patients towards an app, you need to make sure that they, if they're using web tracking with what's going on inside that app, that they are um, not sharing that data outside of the environment without the appropriate controls. So we're talking your downstream concern. Right. You know, you can't just get me to sign. If I'm your partner, you can't just get me to sign a business associate agreement and assume I'm doing the right thing. You want to ask some questions. Okay. Okay. I thought BAAs were fail safe. <laughs> you know, um, and this is kind of off topic, but a couple of years ago, some of you may have heard of, about a big breach related to a collection agency. The collection agency was collecting for some very large lab companies. I would almost bet the lab companies didn't even know that company had their data. They had an agreement with company X. Company X then shared the data with company Y and company Y did not have adequate controls. But who paid the fine? Who did the reporting? Who got the pr bad publicity? It was the big lab companies. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you, 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 you can kind of pass. The VAA gives you some protection, but if there's a breach, you're going to be the ones dealing with the fallout. And we see that here, compliance point, HIPAA, PCI, regulatory compliance everywhere, downstream, yeah. vendor management, right? Vicarious liability. Yeah, we spend a lot of time helping our vendors, helping clients, helping our clients prove to covered entities and others that they are protecting that data because people are aware of that. Yep. But you do have to keep going downstream. You can't stop just one downstream. you got to ask some questions. And I want to come back to that with the business associates, especially given, you know, a lot of clients we work on that side and where that relates. But one more on the BAA. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a BAA, what should you do? Stop sharing the data. That's step one. Turn it off. Then you're going to have to do a risk assessment. Um, what have you shared? How much have you shared? And you're going to have to start looking into the reporting of that. A risk assessment or a breach assessment? A breach risk assessment. Okay. But basically, you're going in, you're saying, okay, what have we shared? Was it PHI under this definition? And, you know, what's next? What are the next steps? You are, I would recommend that you go ahead and look at that and be realistic. This is going to be hard sometimes to figure out, too. It's going to take you a little while to figure out what all you've shared. I mean, this is not necessarily, you know, I know that, you know, certain application was breached and the following 50,500 patients were affected. This is going to take you some time to dig through. And then there's even how do you notify? If all you really have is very limited data, you're probably going to wind up having to do alternative notifications and putting it on your website. And so you probably want to get, you know, your lawyer, legal counsel involved in this pretty early. But I right. would recommend you do the breach risk assessment and start facing um, where we are. Obviously, the government is looking. Obviously, private attorneys are looking. This is one of those cases where you want to be ahead and not behind. So just to double down on that, from the healthcare expert, you don't have a BAA right now, and you could be tracking some of this data, IP addresses. You recommend doing a breach risk assessment. I recommend you step to a couple of steps. What we're suggesting to our clients is one, go on your website and go through it with the fine tooth comb. Make sure you know where all of your trackers are. One of the things we've already discovered is there's probably trackers on there that you don't know about unless you've really recently designed it top to bottom. And not just 
one page, yeah, right? All page, page, not just assembly tracker, but a comprehensive. Not just the homepage. Um, and then go in there and figure out what, what, where it was going and what was being sent and then who was impacted. So it's going to take you a little while to do all that. Um, the only way out of that would be if before you let anybody on your website, you made them agree to your notice of privacy practices or basically had a confirmation that they had accessed it available, knew it was available, um, and you were going to share their data with these vendors. And I know of no one who's ever done that. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, I know I said I was going to ask about the business associates next. And maybe I'm keeping those listeners waiting, but that's a pretty big thing to do that, right? If you figure that out, you don't have the BAA, you do the breach risk assessment, you said it's not going to take a little while, right? You know, this is going to take some time. You're talking about engaging internal counsel, maybe even outside counsel. Why should somebody feel they have to do this, right? What sort of enforcement actions, what sort of penalties organizations facing for this non-compliance? It still seems a little bit, as you said earlier, mm -hmm. a leap on some of this and whether or not it's PHI or a breach. So we're definitely seeing some FTC enforcement. They have they have definitely good health and better health. I think it is too, basically good RX, sorry, good RX and better health. They have already fined them considerably for sharing this data. Hmm. Um, so we are definitely seeing FTC enforcement. With the HIPAA rules, the way the government figures out your fines, part of it is your level of cooperation. So if you knew or should have known of a breach and you just ignored it and they find out about it, you will probably face, you will, excuse me, you, you will face more enforcement action from them, higher fines than if you had said, okay, we had a breach. When, once we figured out we weren't in compliance, we stopped, we went back, we did all those things. So you're lessening the the risk of what your regulatory enforcement could be once it is found out. And to be honest, if if lawyers are filing private action lawsuits, they're kind of driving the Department of Health and Human Services right to you. They're showing the Health and Human Services that you are accessible and, and at risk of this. And I think there were, by the time the letter we talked about, which was sent out earlier this year, went out, there were already 21 hospitals facing class action lawsuits. So. Hmm. You know, yeah. it, they know it's out there. They wouldn't have sent the letter if they weren't planning to enforce it. It's not, you know, they're so giving you the warning shot across the bow, so to speak. So I would say that adds almost a step earlier when you talk about what you should do if you don't have a BA. You've discovered that. You you gave the point. Stop what you're doing. Go through your website with a fine tooth comb. Do a breach risk assessment. And then I think it's important to talk about the uh, importance of documenting all of that, right? Because you just said the fines are going to be worse, right? The enforcement could be worse if if you can't showcase that you did all those and you took those steps. So documentation and being able to show that paper trail is very important. Yeah, you want to show your paper trail of what you've done. You want to show your paper trail of who you identified was impacted and then how did you contact them? And there are requirements laid out in the breach notification rule for, require, for notification of affected individuals. I would say... Um, you know, the normal method is U.S. mail. In this case, most of you are going to have to use an alternative method because I would bet that you may not have postal addresses for a lot of these people. Mm. So you're going to have to do, you know, media releases and 
website notification where you put it on your not- website. So you're probably looking at, you know, trying to figure out who can you notify the old fashioned way via U.S. mail and who are you going to have to notify an alternative method. In the website, which I'm sure the marketing teams will love. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. So back to the business associates question. What's it mean for them? Right. All this we're talking because we've mainly been talking about covered entities yeah. here. So if you're a business associate, you signed that agreement and it says you're going to comply with all of the HIPAA regulations. And the HIPAA regulations include related to what you're doing with protected health information on your website. So if you are a business associate of a of a covered entity, a hospital, and they get directed to your website to learn about features they're providing and stuff, and you're doing website tracking, you've signed this agreement, you've got to make sure you're doing the Basically, the exact same thing the covered entity is doing. Do you have a business associate agreement with that? We're talking about downstream. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you've signed a business associate agreement, remember that your liability is now to comply with all these regulations. You yes. said you were going to do that. I, I think a lot of people sign these and don't realize that's what they're getting. And the other thing I would look at right now is what does it say about you reporting to your covered entity? Um, I think a, a lot of times I see people get a business associate agreement and the covered entity has said within 24 hours, you're going to notify us about your breach. Having worked some breaches within 24 hours, most of us are still trying to figure out who's on first, much less to have any idea of how big the problem is, what we got. Right. Um, so you probably want to start working with your covered entities um, now and letting them know what you're doing. I think staying ahead of the curve, letting them know you realize you this is coming out and you know what's going on. We'll build you trust, goodwill. Um, when I was at a provider, we had a major a ransomware with one of our vendors. Mm. And the reason they didn't loot it, lose us as a customer was day one, honesty, trust, upfront. So be as upfront as you can with your covered entities, I would advise. So that they know, okay, we know we're aware of the risk and we're dealing with it because they're the ones who are going to have to actually report it in most cases to the Department of Health and Human Services. You report it to them and they report it to the Department of Health and Human Services. The truth will set you free, right? <laughs> we have. Um, okay. So the business associates and the ones in the middle, they could potentially be in breach of their business associate agreement. Mm-hmm. If consumers are visiting their website and looking at the services, they could potentially have a PHI breach. Mm-hmm. And then they also have to worry about their downstream vendors yeah. too, if they're sharing some of that tracking information. Yeah. So what are they doing with the data? Um, you know, where is it going? What happens to it? So they could be of interest for HHS or FTC. Yeah, so they could be of interest in losing clients into the covered entities. So if you're a business associate and then you got a vendor that you're using to sign a business associate agreement because it's downstream, then the regulations just keep going down the food chain, so to speak. And the liability doesn't necessarily go with it. No. Right. Okay. Okay. So in wrapping it all up, right, and maybe reiterate some of your points, you know, what steps can businesses, covered entities, business associates alike, right? What can they do to protect themselves? I think really at this stage, I would definitely be getting with my marketing department, um, getting with anybody else and making sure that I knew, start dealing with where your trackers are. I think a lot of people have not taken that first step. Um, You know, we've talked to a lot of people that we've given advice on where giving them, you know, some guidance and helping them with this, but that's your first step. You've got to figure it out. Also make sure you know where all of your websites are. 
um, if you are a large covered entity, for example, with you know several hospitals and clinics, make sure somebody hasn't set up a website advertising something you didn't know about. Um, you know, you, you, I know people are thinking that would never happen. I have found entire departments people didn't know about. So I'm firmly convinced somebody could set up a website without you knowing about it <laughs> and running it through a lot of marketing departments. So, okay. yeah. So, Carol, thank you. It's been very insightful information. Really appreciate your time. If somebody listening wanted to get in touch with you, how might they go about that? So you are welcome to email me. Um, my email address is camick, A-M-I-C-K, at compliancepoint.com. Um, you can go on LinkedIn. I get my messages that people send there. And I know Jordan's going to give you details on how to get in touch with all of us at Compliance Point. So I'll let him cover that. Sure. All right. Well, thank you, Carol. And thanks, everybody, for listening. As mentioned, we're going to produce content like this on a regular basis. Make sure you subscribe and don't miss future episodes. And if you are interested in talking with Carol, learning more about Compliance Point, go to our website. We've got contact email addresses on there. In fact, connect at compliancepoint.com is one. You can email that directly, or you can reach out to Carol directly. She gave her email address. You can reach out to me directly, jeisner at compliancepoint.com, or you can uh, message us on LinkedIn. Thank you.